0: Or simply download the CCCIV app. You'll find the direct link to the app at www.ccciv.org forward slash get the app. Or when you text CCCIV APP to 77977.
1: The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven described it. He says, the things I want to do, I can't do. The things that I hate, those are the things that I end up doing. It's like there's this, this, these two people at war within me and he says, oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this, this condition? How can I ever find healing? Thanks be to God, he says. Only through Jesus can I be delivered from these passions. If you're being ruled by your passions this morning, What does that mean? It means that your perspective on life is continually a selfish perspective. You only think about how you feel in any particular situation. A word is spoken, and this is how I've been wronged. An action is taken, and this is how it's hurt my heart. You're pursuing your passions and you're only concerned about... We can see this. You know how we can see this? Any of you guys go shopping on Black Friday? Any people out here crazy enough to go shopping on Black Friday? Right? Who needs Black Friday anymore? We have Amazon, right? Who needs it? But if you watch people... No one's thinking about their neighbor, no one's thinking about the person next to them. They're fighting over a television that they can save 20 bucks on and it doesn't matter who they have to step over in order to get to it. That's being ruled by your passions and maybe that's an extreme, but some of us are operating in our day-to-day lives that way. There's a war that is happening inside of you and you're being pulled by that leash, the leash of the flesh led into passions and it's causing grief in your life. Again, there is a battle that is being waged right now, and you don't see what's happening in the spiritual realm, but it is happening. And if there was a battle being waged right outside our doors, and if there literally were choppers and tanks, you would not go out there without equipping yourselves with the proper armor and the proper weaponry. But day in and day out, so many of you, are oblivious or ignore the spiritual realm, the spiritual battle that is happening around you and you're being destroyed spiritually because you're not arming yourself properly. Do you follow? Passions are the first thing. The second reason why there's conflict in your life is because of man's desires. And again, James is clear here. He says, is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So there's this, this battle that is happening, this battle that is being raged in part due to passions in part due to desires and this is the sensual part of desires, the seeking after sensual pleasure. Paul wrote to his young pastor that he was mentoring, and he said this to him in 2 Timothy chapter two. He said, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Run from those passions and those desires. Run away from those things. Listen to me. If you knew the heartache and the destruction that those passions would cause before it happened, you would not pursue them. I guarantee you, anyone who becomes addicted to meth Have you seen those faces of meth pictures on uh, the, the before and afters? If they knew what would happen to them, they never would have taken that first step. You never would have responded to that Facebook message if you knew what would have happened in your marriage. You never would have allowed your children to watch that television show if you knew the heartache that it would have caused in your home. You never would have entertained that lustful thought if you knew how destructive it would have become in your own marriage bed. Listen to me, flee youthful passions, flee youthful desires, run from them with all that you have. It is not worth it. If it how many of you guys have ever overeaten? Yeah? Yeah? Now, we don't have a buffet here anymore, I guess. I guess there's a Korean barbecue. I haven't been there yet, but Golden Corral shut down, so you can't, you can't go there anymore. But if you've ever overeaten, eaten way too much, you immediately as soon as you're finished eating, you regret it, right? That's what it's like following after your passions. I feel sick. I feel disgusted. I, I, feel, I feel horrible that I ever allowed that to happen to me, that I ever followed that, that, that passion to its ultimate end. Those of you who struggle with lust, those of you who struggle with some sort of addiction, alcoholism or or some other addiction, if you could remember the feeling of conviction that you feel after you've fallen into that sin before, you wouldn't fall into that sin. If you knew how destructive it was, you would run. Paul said to Timothy, you run from that sin. This is how sin progresses. And this is what we see in the scripture. James, we saw this in James chapter one. This is the progression, the progressive nature of sin. But each person, James chapter one, verse 14, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured in. Come follow me. You're going to enjoy this. No one's going to know. No one will ever find out. This is just between you and me. This can happen in private and you don't have to pay any consequences. You're lured away. You're enticed by that sin. When desire, that desire, that passion that you're pursuing, that lustful thought, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth what? Death. That's where those passions and those desires eventually lead. If you're following after the flesh rather than following after the spirit, if you're walking in the flesh rather than walking in the spirit, that is where you will eventually end up. It's death, destruction. Your your stadium will be burned to the ground. You can see this played out in the life of David and many of you know the story well. He should have been out fighting with his his men on the battlefield, but instead, in the springtime, he goes up on his rooftop, and he looks down, and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he says in his heart, I must have that woman. It doesn't matter that she's married. It doesn't matter that her husband is out on the battlefield himself. He takes her for himself. She becomes pregnant, and in order to cover up his sin, he ends up killing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, kills him in order to cover sin. That's what happens. That's where that covetousness, that's where that desire takes you. Think about this just for a moment. It started with a look. He entertained a thought. It gave birth to sin. He took her for himself, and eventually it led to death. He killed someone to cover the sin. It's where the passions will lead you you'll end up becoming someone you never thought you'd become. Maybe you feel that way this morning. David didn't wake up that morning and think, you know what, today I think I'm going to commit adultery. You know, maybe tomorrow I'll murder somebody. It was one compromise that led to another compromise that led to another compromise until he didn't even know who he was anymore. He didn't even recognize the person that he saw in the mirror because of so many compromises along the way. See that word covet there, that a part of the reason why you have conflict in your life is because you covet. The word covet means to desire what someone else owns or what someone else has possession of. It's the last of the Ten Commandments, do not covet your your husband's uh, pro, or you, Do not cover your neighbor's property. Do not cover your, your neighbor's wife. Do not cover your neighbor's oxen. I mean, we don't have those things maybe that we deal with as much today. Don't cover your neighbor's car. Don't co- covet your neighbor's pool. Don't cover your neighbor's job. Those types of things. This covetousness in David's heart sprang forth and gave birth to death. Think about this just for a moment. Because David had seven wives, at least seven wives that the scripture records, in in addition to concubines, other women that he had in his home. And yet he sees another woman, a woman on that rooftop, and he says, she deserves to be mine, and I need more than I already have. That is what the spirit of covetousness is. You can see this in toddlers, can't you? Some of their first words are mine and more. Right? Mine and more. And that's where this leads. It leads to death. It ended up being where David, he slays someone in order to cover his tracks, in order to cover his sin. So what should we desire in our lives? If covetousness is so bad, what's the opposite of covetousness? I'm going to give you an answer for that. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to write this down. The word is contentment. This is what Paul wrote. 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The word contentment means to be satisfied or to be full. To be satisfied or to be full. See, when you covet what someone else has, when you look at what someone else owns and you think, I deserve that, it should be mine, or I deserve more, you, in essence what you're saying is, God, I'm not content, I'm not satisfied or full with what you've already given me. There's something innately wicked in that. When you would look your heavenly father in the eyes, your provider in the eyes and say, God, you haven't done a good enough job providing for me. I remember when uh, Caleb was five years old. Caleb's up there somewhere, so forgive me, but I'm telling this story. I've told it before, I'll tell it again. When Caleb was five years old, at Christmas, His sister got a brand new bike, and he was excited because he's thinking, okay, I'm going to get a brand new bike, but he already had a perfectly good bike. So when he went to unwrap his package, it was a Nintendo DS, all right? And he's five years old, and he looks at this thing, and he looks up at me with his eyes, and he says, where's my bike, (laughs) right? Now, it didn't matter that that Nintendo DS cost three times more than the bike did, It didn't matter that eventually he was going to enjoy that Nintendo DS more than that bike. In that moment, all he did is he saw his sister's bike and he said, I want that for myself. Now, in this case, his earthly father was trying to provide a gift that would bless him, was trying to give him something that would encourage him, that, that he would enjoy but he was ungrateful and all he wanted was what someone else had. That's the condition that we're in when we look at someone else's things and we covet them. And it rules us with our desires and our passion. We, we look God in the eye and we say, I'm not satisfied or full or content with what you've provided. And that is a wicked place to be. James says this. He says, you desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Teenagers, you'll know this to be true. And every single parent in this room knows this to be true as well. And so as I tell this or explain this to you, I want you to understand, your parents were once teenagers also. Is that true? Yes. Right? The adults in the room, we used to be able to, to fit into skinny jeans and we used to have you know, hair on our heads and we, we, we used to be cool people, right? Not, not anymore, but that's all right. So listen to this, you teenagers. You have, to, you, you, you have to come apart from, from the world for a moment and you have to look at things from a different perspective because you are being convinced by the media. You're being convinced by uh, everyone trying to sell you any kinds of goods that that's what you need, that that's what you should desire after. You have to desire after the Lord. All of those things will lead you to disappointment. This text says, you do not ask of the Lord, As a teenager, the times when I would not ask my parents for permission is when I already knew the answer. Anybody else in the room agree with that? Have you ever heard the saying, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission? How many of you live that out as teenagers? Right? And so here's the thing. Listen to me. Sometimes... When we have these covetous desires, we have these things, that, these passions that rule over us, we don't even bring those things before the Lord because we know what he would say. So we just pursue them ourselves. We chase after them on our own, and because of it, our stadiums are being burned to the ground. It's a sad state when someone doesn't have enough faith to ask their parents for their needs to be met. And some of us, Maybe it's not because we already know the answer that we are not asking of the Lord. Some of us are not asking of the Lord because we don't have faith that God will actually answer our prayers. God is listening to you. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus went into uh, his own hometown, into Nazareth, and he's trying to minister there. And the scripture says that they did not receive him, that they said, "Who is this? who does this guy think he is? Isn't he just like one of us? Wasn't he raised in a carpenter's home? And because of it, Jesus w- would not perform many miracles there because people didn't come to ask. In the next chapter, Matthew chapter 14, he goes to a a village called Genesaret. And there, when word goes throughout the village that Jesus has arrived, they bring the sick and they bring the demon-possessed and they beg Jesus just to touch the hem of his garment because they had faith, they had belief that Jesus could meet their need. Which person are you today? Are you the one standing off at a distance, not even approaching with your need with your ask because either you know God wouldn't answer it because it's not something you should be really desiring or you don't have the faith that God actually cares or are you the person that is begging to touch the hem, the robe of Jesus so that you might be healed? I want to be the one that has faith that pushes through the crowd that touches the hem of the garment. You see, some of our prayers have been polluted They're disgusting before the Lord. There's a a really great way for you to tell the the spiritual temperature of your walk with the Lord is by your prayer life. In your prayer life, what kinds of things are you asking for? Because an immature person is asking for stuff and for things But a godly person is asking for, Lord, grant to me these traits or these attributes. Give me wisdom. Give me humility. Give me patience. Give me kindness. Give me gentleness. Give me meekness so that I can be a blessing to others and so that I can bless you. What does your prayer life sound like? Because here's the thing the scripture says in 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Are you praying according to God's will? Because if you are, God hears you and he will answer you today. So the cause of quarrels, the source of quarrels, the source of conflict, we see second main point I want you to write down is the sanctity of devotion. Read with me what it says here in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose that it is with no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Pause there. Devotion is important to the Lord. If you're chasing passions and desires, you are not devoted to the Lord this morning. What I want you to see is that devotion requires your commitment. He says, you adulterous people, and this was a way in which the Old Testament prophets described Israel in her backslidings. See, in Exodus chapter 19, the Lord pledges to provide for the people. He, he says to the people, I'm going to watch over, over you. You're going to be uh, my people, and I'm going to be your God. And in essence, God says, this is, these are the rules that I expect for you to follow. And the people say, yes, we will follow you. Yes, we will do that. It's basically a marriage covenant, a marriage exchange. It's called a ketubah in the Hebrew. And God enters into a marriage covenant with his people in Exodus chapter 19. But then throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly warning his people through the prophets. Hey, you're going to walk away from me. You're going to forget me. You're you're going to take for granted all that I've provided for you. You're going going to the land flowing with milk and honey, and you won't be grateful. You're going to forget who provided it. You're going to turn your back, and you're going to chase the gods of the world. You're going to follow after the passions and pleasures and desires of the world, and you'll forget me in those moments. There's a prophet by the name of Hosea in the scripture, and this man was called to marry a prostitute as an object lesson for the children of Israel. He marries a prostitute, has children with her, and then she goes back into her old profession. She goes back to her old job. And God says to Hosea, in order for the people of Israel to know my heart for them, I want you to go and I want you to buy her out of the prostitution a second time. Listen to me. The scripture declares that you, as the church, are the bride of Christ. Have you been devoted or as devoted to the Lord as you should have been? Or have you been giving yourself away? Have you been selling yourself to pleasures and desires and to anyone who will come along? What do you actually have that you can offer to the Lord this morning in, this, in, the, in, in the sense of your purity, in the sense of your devotion? In order to try to drive this home, I went this morning and I, I got this flower, I got this rose. And if you want to offer yourself completely devoted to the Lord this morning in the sense like this rose, you need the whole rose to be intact. But this is what happens if you're pursuing passions and pleasures and desires and if your heart isn't true, if your heart goes back to wander and to seek out the old gods. You follow after that lust and you pull a pedal. You follow after that Wealth, and you pull a pedal. You follow after that addiction, you pull a pedal. You follow after that position, you, pull a pe- you follow after that power, you pull a pedal. And you pull, and you pull, and you pull, and you pull, until you've pulled the whole thing off. And you've nothing to offer the Lord but a stem filled with thorns because you refused to be faithful to God. Every time you pursue something or someone else, you pull a petal from the stem. And what will you have to offer in the day you enter into his presence? I'm afraid for some of you, you've got nothing on your stem. But God can restore you this morning. You can renew your commitment. You can renew your devotion. The scripture says, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Just like Hosea bought his bride out of slavery, you were purchased. And the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish. You are the bride of Christ. You were purchased with his blood. He bought you from your old lovers and your old ways and your old, uh, your, your old prostitution-filled life. He's pulled you out of all of those passions and those desires, and he wants you to remain true to him. God deserves your devotion this morning. This is why the scripture says that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We should invest everything we have into loving the Lord. The scripture says this in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. I'm panting for you. I'm thirsting after you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm or 84, 2, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. To be so devoted to God that it's the only thing that you can think of You're you're the only one I'm thirsting after God. You're the only one I'm longing for. I'm literally fainting in the heat with the thought of being in your presence. You're all that my heart and my soul longs for. In the scripture in Luke chapter seven, we have a beautiful picture of what devotion looks like. And in this text, there's another prostitute who's been involved in sin, selling her body to the highest bidder. And she's been saving her wealth in the form of some oil that she keeps in a little flask. And she would bury this flask in the floor of her home. And this was her life's savings. She was saving this up for a better life because she felt like one day maybe I can, I can go somewhere and I can be someone. But until then, this is what it's going to take. And she hears of a Jewish rabbi traveling through the city and she comes to Jesus when she hears of the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy that he offers and of the power that is happening through his hands. And she makes her way through a crowded room filled with religious people and she brings that alabaster flask filled with oil, filled with her life savings. And she falls at Jesus' feet And in brokenness, she's weeping on his feet and she's wiping his feet with the hair of her head and she's pouring out her life savings at the feet of Jesus, completely devoted to him.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Love Live Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church Imperial Valley.